0: This is Mythos, and I am the creator, Nicole Schmidt. This podcast is a storytelling journey through world folklore. Here you will experience fresh interpretations of traditional narratives, mainly with a darker edge. The aim of Mythos is to ignite a passion for the lore of generations past by telling the stories with a sense of magic, as if they were entirely real. With brief context and analysis in the introductions, the main focus ...is the retelling of the stories themselves. Welcome to Folklorica Slavica, the series in which we will explore the folkloric landscape of the Slavic world. Here we will encounter the witches, demons and spirits that haunt the forests, lakes, mountains, urban spaces and even bathhouses... Of Russia, Poland, Ukraine, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, and more. Hi, everyone. Nicole Schmidt here. The narrative approach of mythos takes hours and hours of careful research and script writing. So I've taken the plunge to reduce my hours at work to dedicate more time. To supplement my income, to increase the amount of time I could spend on the podcast, and ultimately make the project sustainable for the long term, I've started a Patreon campaign. If you can help, please do so today. Rewards range from special supplementary episodes available only to patrons, um, to ebooks of my show scripts. So simply go to Patreon, type Mythos Podcast into the search engine, and pledge what you can. In fact, if you could be one of the 500 listeners who pledges support in the top two tiers of 5 or $10 a month, I could actually start doing this full-time, putting out bi-weekly episodes, special patrons-only content, and could even start putting on live shows. We've got a very big and fascinating world to travel together in this podcast, and I want to explore folkloric realms with you for years to come. Introduction In lore across the Slavic world, from the northern Slavs of Poland and Russia to their southern kin in Croatia and Slovenia, there are these so called unclean spirits of forest and field, home and bathhouse. They are descended from those sneering, ambitious angels for whom heaven simply wasn't enough. And when those angelic rebels, according to biblical legend, had been cast from heaven by God, they fell from such great heights. And the lesser of these squirmed beneath the weight of earth's gravity, merged with earth and water, crept and crawled into swamps and wooded lands, into barns and fields, and homes and bathhouses. And the more domestic of these unclean spirits... Those of the home and bathhouse is our focus in this episode. Indeed, unclean spirits is a play on words here, for while the domovoi and the bannock are a part of that category, they also have strangely domestic functions, inhabit spaces, and even perform functions very much centered on cleanliness, at least the hygienic sense of the term. Now, the Russian bathhouse, a type of sauna, was an eerie place, Often a run down, log shack set away from the home in grove and shadow, a place apart, a place where the bannock, the spirit of the bathhouse, reigned and even entertained evil spirits, witches, and the unclean dead. Yet it was regarded with an ambivalent reverence. On the one hand, loud voices, boisterous singing, and joyful mayhem were taboo because perhaps there is the recognition that the veil between worlds in the bathhouse was thin, easily rent, and stirred by shrill human energy. On the other hand, there is also a seemingly contradictory reverence for the potentially helpful powers of the bathhouse, for women labored here to bring fragile, squalling infants into the world, and divinations were also practiced. And these vital forces of the bathhouse made the Orthodox church hem and haw, for the church forbade the magical practice of seeking to bathe during a thunderstorm, or bathing with the spiritually potent midsummer herbs gathered on the feast of Agrafena Koponitsa. Another unclean spirit of the domestic realm was the Dumovoy, a household helper whose presence inhabited the stove and the glowing, beautiful coals therein. The lore certainly has roots in the cult of ancestors, who themselves were often considered protectors of their familial lines. This strange little man exhibits the opposite of traditional behavior. The domovoi is a nocturnal being who performs feminine household functions, weaving, cleaning, and mending. But do not be fooled by his diminutive womanliness, for if a household allows itself to descend into selfish strife... Violence and swearing, the dumovoy looms large, wreaking havoc on the home in retaliation, for, perhaps, his very being is woven into the atmosphere of the Slavic home, and violence and anger amongst families stings like a vinegar-doused cut. Now we will meet these mysterious beings, in whom mingles the earthly and angelic, in whom dwell the deep powers of ancestral longing, order, and homeliness. For a little boy in an undisclosed Russian village, while playing, has spotted a dilapidated bathhouse on the edge of the great taiga by his home, the taiga that vast wooded realm of northern climes, and when he sees the water-rotted wood and the sagging brooding structure, he shudders runs home to his grandfather and asks about his history. This is the grandfather's story. Part One, The Eclipse and the Black Hen. You were right to come to me, little one, and to leave that place alone, to leave it to its own slow death. As you know, I came to this village as a small child, perhaps your age. I know, it's hard to believe your grandfather was once young. Anyways, I came with my family, and on the night of our arrival, we all stood in that clearing where you were playing just now, and which is in full view of the bathhouse, and saw Sister Moon slowly swallow the midday sun, her own brother. As the Lunar Lady gulped her brother, we felt their anger in our bones, felt family strife and discord in our very bones. And that bathhouse seemed to shudder in the ensuing darkness, creaked and croaked, like a sleeping wooden frog, squat and splintered. Damp and mold-ridden, a presence dwelled there, exhaling and gurgling with frustration and anger, audible only in the feelings. For a moment, I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure, spelt, with strangely broad shoulders for its tiny form. Though shrouded in the blackness of eclipse, I still had the strange impression of Muscles, sinews, and tendons. There was an ancient energy about it, and I thought I could see a beard. Then, the form darted behind the bathhouse, not with the movement of a dwarf, but with the movements of an athletic man. And even when the moon spat her brother back out again, and light came upon the world once again, everything still felt wrong, perverse. You know as well as I do, child, that the moon is the abode of the dead, full of souls that have crossed the celestial bridge of the Milky Way to their final resting place. So when the moon speaks, we must listen carefully. It simply cannot be business as usual. And after much whispered discussion about so strange a turn of events... The local colden, well respected for his magical knowledge, murmured his own remedy, which the villagers carried out, as day bled out its light into the great beyond, and twilight portended night. I watched in the shadows, though forbidden to do so, as some villagers stood at the threshold of the bathhouse. Why there, you ask? Well, the bathhouse is the meeting place of the unclean spirits and the colden head felt their presence there, apparently. And if the vital forces of all living spaces were congregated, then that was the time to act. I watched as something small writhed and squirmed inside an old blanket, which was held in a villager's arms. Then, as the blanket was opened, I saw the limp form of a black hen, suffocated and ready to be offered, and as one villager used a spade to dig a hole at the threshold of the bathhouse, I recognized the woman who cradled the black hen. She was the wife of the village drunk whose violent ways had recently been much discussed by the elders, who knew something must be done for the poor woman and her fay daughter. I thought I saw her weep as the other villager took the black hen from her arms, laid it in the small grave and covered it, and I too silently crept away, as they departed backwards from the bathhouse, bowing and uttering an incantation in unison, asking the bannock to accept the offering. I would not be left alone near that place, for a pit in my gut said that the bannock had not accepted that sacrifice, that some discord of hearth and home still existed in the village, and left the unclean spirits restless. And anxious, like feral children who preferred wilderness over hearth and home. Part Two Infant of the Pit and Seventh Daughter of the Seventh Daughter. Now, Child, everyone else felt what I did, and the villagers would whisper to each other that something must be done. And it became very clear when the woman who offered the sacrifice, Vasilisa I'll call her, when she came tumbling from her house with wild hair and reddened face, her oddly stoic daughter of about ten with her arms around her, well, we knew why the bannock glowered in the bathhouse. "'Vasilisa sought refuge with a neighbor "'who had heard the cacophony of drunken swearing "'and sharp stinging slaps, "'had heard the poor woman's husband shouting over and over, "'Out of the bathhouse, into the pit, "'out of the bathhouse, into the pit. "'And dear, dear child, "'all knew that Vasilisa's husband was being utterly cruel, "'to remind the poor, downtrodden woman of such deep pain. "'And later,' "'That neighbor said she had the impression "'that the cottage heaved and glowered. "'And as she ushered poor Vasilisa in, "'she saw a bearded face watching in the window. "'And when it stood with movements "'eerily pliant for something the size of a doll, "'the neighbor turned away, "'whispering a blessing to her Domovoi and Vasilisa's. "'Yes, her husband's cruelty was shocking,' For there had been another girl-child born, just shortly after this one, who was the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter, but I'll get to that. Some years ago, Vasilisa lay panting, naked with blood-soaked sheets in that derelict bathhouse. The squat-scowling structure made eerily luminous in that blue mixed with fairy-milk color we call twilight and a squalling baby lay in the arms of the naked midwife, who carried the little one around the bathhouse, around the perimeter, chanting an invocation to the dawn, to Morning Star, to keep it from crying. The child eventually calmed, but not for long, for there came heavy, angry footsteps, and after a single pound, the door of the bathhouse flew open. The husband of poor Vasilisa had heard that the child was yet another girl. He had had a series of girls with his first wife, who had died in childbirth, and all of them had gone through this world with a father who would have nothing to do with them. You see, he was obsessed with having a son. So, when this poor girl came crying into this cruel world, she did not receive a welcoming kiss or cooing words of paternal devotion. No, she received a curse, "'Pushed through spittle-drenched, clenched teeth. "'Out of the bathhouse, into the pit. "'Out of the bathhouse, into the pit.' "'And as the naked midwife cowered behind the stove, "'she saw a naked little form squirm between a space in the logs "'and then peer out with utter contempt, "'its tiny man eyes locked on the husband. "'And later, the midwife told me she felt the bannock's compassion "'for the lost and forsaken.' for it is known that the bannock plays host to a whole range of lost spirits. Yes, he is cantankerous, unpredictable, and even dangerous, but he is not without compassion. Now, when the baby girl, yet unnamed, died some hours later from mysterious causes, the villagers gathered to bury her. And when the husband was asked what the girl's name was, he said with cruel indifference, "Call her the child of the pit for all I care." And the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter, destined by birth to be a powerful witch, saw with a different kind of sight the house dark in a shade. She had seen seven summers by this time, and her witch powers were coming forth. Indeed. The strange eclipsing in that little cottage bothered her deeply, so she went to the woods, retrieved the goat skull she had found some days before, and in the dead of night, buried it at the threshold of the house. Then she lay in front of the stove and whispered her sorrow at losing her infant sister, whispered blessings to the Domovoi, Asking him to forgive her father and to please, please never leave them. The coals glowed. Part Three The Bannock Divinations. Vasilisa thereafter was threadbare in spirit. Her countenance like the white light of a cloud-covered sun. And one night, while the husband snored in a drunken stupor, and her daughter slept by the stove, she went to the bathhouse and, in her desperation, did something unbecoming of a grown woman and wife. A girlish, childish divination. Though perhaps we should not, little one, begrudge those who, in deep pain, look for a sign unless we have something to offer to assuage their hurt. Well, Vasilisa stood with her back to the door of the bathhouse, and you know the way. She lifted the back of her skirt and pulled the hem over her head, her bare backside humblingly ready for the bannock's touch. And whispering her husband's name, she waited. And she gasped, this mingled with a small sob at the shock for an arctic cold needling ran down the length of her back, and her muscles seized with the pain of it. With this touch, this cold freezing touch, it seemed that all the bottomless sorrow of frigid death was being foretold, and though she despised her husband, she also felt pity at the black promise of a future opaque with suffering. But the bandit's touch did not lie and she knew that there was no saving her husband from what awaited him. Vasilisa then whispered her own name, and the name of her daughter. And oh, such warmth, like a series of sweet child kisses down her spine, and Vasilisa fell to her knees and wept, feeling one departing touch of what she felt was comfort. Venturing a glance backwards, she saw a diminutive retreating figure wizened skin and sculpted muscles like an elderly working man, yet with feminine gliding movements that somehow comforted poor Vasilisa. Part 4. The Duma voice Strikes Now, Child, Vasilisa did not return unnoticed, and her husband's rage was a slow, burning fire beneath the surface of his sneer, and with mock gentleness, but with a rock-like bruising grip, he pulled her down onto his lap. In her ear, he murmured his accusations. "'Why so late out?' Vasilisa answered honestly. "'Oh, he said, is that right? Were we meeting a gentleman so late?' You do remember the story of the slut-wife who served as an unfamiliar gentleman's bathhouse assistant, who asked for the bannock's aid in ridding herself of an unloved husband. Yes, of course you know. She was slowly flayed, her lovely skin slowly peeled, like the skinning of a deer, but by the bannock's long, sharp nails and with sudden violence, Vasilisa's husband pushed her from his lap, and she slid across the floor with such force that her head rammed into the stove. And what he did not see was Vasilisa's daughter, the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter, the girl with crone eyes, windows into eons and ancient of days, kneeling by the stove, whispering into the glowering coals. This is when the Domovoy seemed to burst at the seams. His tiny but potent form simply split from all the screaming, dissonant nastiness of that hellish home. First, the countenance of the room changed, was like the white light of a cloud covered sun. Then silence. But a silence filled with the kind of nervous energy you feel when there is unspoken hostility between people in a room. Nothing happened at first, mind you. So the husband collapsed back into bed. But as the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter chanted, there seemed to be an ascent, an unseen nodding of heads amongst the spirits of field and forest, water and bathhouse. His time had come. In the dead of night, Vasilisa's husband luxuriated in the drowsy borderland between his self-hating wakefulness and the oblivion of dreamless sleep. Yet, despite the homely silence, there lingered, in otherworldly tension, a fey vibration in the air. And who knows? Perhaps it was his own condemning thoughts, ricocheting inside of his own mind like rogue bullets. But still... He did not see the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter, the girl with crone eyes, windows into eons and ancient of days, whispering her rage into the glowering coals. Perhaps then, he would have known that the dark figure, the height of a toddler but with wizened elderly leanness, which hoisted itself onto the bed with oddly feminine graceful movements, was not his solitary vision. Had he have seen the daughter breathing her incantations into those unnaturally crimson coals, he would have known who this was, this being whose form was eclipsed now in blackness, a manifestation of rage like the moon engulfing the sun, who now perched on his brittle, meager ankles with all the weight of the ancestor-laden sky road, the Milky Way. "'Vasilisa's husband roared with the pain of it. "'He felt his ankles and now his legs might break into pieces "'with this burden of ancestral vengeance. "'And as the puppet-sized figure, now emaciated by black anger, "'shimmied suddenly onto his stomach, "'Vasilisa's husband felt crushed down where the spirit meets the bone. "'And when it finally perched on his chest,' He felt as if his being had been pulled into the orbit of a wicked celestial body, like a beaker of some heavy metal like mercury or lead. Finally, he lost consciousness, his sun-bright mind eclipsed by the devouring moon. A mean, lowering gray dawn roused her husband, and he felt bruised in body and soul. With squinting eyes, he surveyed the cottage and saw no sign of his wife and daughter. And when his sleep eclipsed mind was spat out by the moon, he sat up suddenly, the meager light of dawn throwing into relief what at first appeared to be a massive spider web. No, it was a complex network of string that had been thrown across the room, entangling the meager furnishings. He could perceive a chaotic rage now exhausted and panting behind it all, and the presence of this terrified him. So he scrambled off the bed, and its feet squelched. As they touched the floor, a nasty oozing through the toes. A stench of shit assailed him. Gagging, he lifted his feet to move away from the manure, but he slid and fell flat-backed onto the floor. Groaning, he looked around the surface of the floor and saw piles and streaks of it, Lifting himself, he stood and stumbled towards the door through which he could see chairs turned upside down and stacked in the dusty clearing outside. Something about the eerie symmetry of the chairs bent his mind with terror and he ran towards the door, but not before something metallic whizzed by his head and crashed against the doorframe. And as he fell to the ground outside, pots and plans flew at him. He whimpered, though it was entirely lost on him that he whimpered much like his wife did when he flew into a rage, and his true fate we will never know, for he fled into the forest, and that was the last the village ever saw of him. Part 5, the domovoy Sings. And like the emptiness of a childless widow dying alone, like the nothingness of a moonless night, that dwelling of our ancestors hidden from us by that cold vacuum, this was the feeling in that cottage when Vasilisa and the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter tiptoed back into their home. They had fled when the domovoy began to release his rage, but now, the cottage they returned to is orderly, clean, but empty, like the inside of a goat's skull, like a derelict home with no one to inherit it. And Vasilisa and her daughter felt, well, a sense of being fractured, of the center of their beings falling away into nothing, and the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter, with her crone eyes, surveyed the cottage with utter sadness and said, Our domovoy has left us. They wept, for it felt as if the stars in the sky had broken from their time-honored paths across the celestial spheres and now drifted into unknowable blackness, world without end. They pleaded and wept, their tears mingling with offerings of milky porridge, beautifully crafted knots of bread, and tongue-tingling salt. Yet, The emptiness remained, and eventually they lay together in the bed and held each other, weeping for all the pain and loss they had known in their lives. Now child, Vasilisa actually died last summer, and it is her daughter still living who tells what happened next with such emotion that one would think it had happened only yesterday. First. Mother and daughter woke suddenly in the blackness of night. That awful, almost nauseous feeling, a sickness of spirit that overcomes us when our still drowsy minds have woken into an instant state of knowing and remembrance, our minds not ready for the weight of it all. But then, the coals in the stove flared with a friendly warm glow, and by its light was a figure sitting cross-legged, hunched over a towel, and pushing a needle through with a grace and skill that seemed propelled by ancestral power. And mother and daughter sat up in bed, looking around in wonder when they heard singing, a choral loveliness mingled with the playfulness of the wedding taunt. And both women watched the Domovoi in awe as he put down his needlework and danced in that glowing light. Movements as lithe as birch branches, moving in a gentle wind. And the seventh daughter of the seventh daughter always ends this part of the story by saying, And we knew the spring of life would come again. In a distant land far surpassing the nine kingdoms of imagination there was a girl named Nicole Schmidt, whose grandfather took her on his knee and instilled in her a hunger for storytelling. In honor of Charles Henderson, my grandfather, I've been working on this labor of narrative love for well over a year. My intent is to bring to life that same immediacy, the same earnest involvement in the story I had all those years ago, when my grandfather whipped up spontaneous tales. I also want to connect you with the stories of generations past, with the stories produced by those lost to history, and as Angela Carter so eloquently put it, with the vivid, raw narratives of the anonymous poor whose labor formed our world. Want to join in on this vision? Would you like to encourage and support me in churning out more stories? For sure, with a full-time job, I need the extra oomph of knowing you all are getting something out of it. You can support me on Patreon and become a part of that inner circle of storytelling enthusiasts whose creative partnership will help shape the future content of Mythos. You can also like my Mythos Podcast page on Facebook and head over to MythosPodcast.com to read more about my inspiration and rationale for particular stories. And if you want inspiration for your own creative efforts or just want to do some more imaginative frolicking, there's also suggestions for novels, stories, and films. Or you're just wanting more storytelling. Well, the rest of the Lore Britannia series is there for you to explore. Everything from phantom dogs prowling the moors to water witches haunting stagnant ponds. Happy listening.